Welcome to the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith, and well, today I appreciate horror because because the way things worked out, the episode I was editing and the film we watched today were about topics that I have very deep personal connection to, and so this podcast gets to be my therapy. <laughs> um, but but more importantly, this is I hope this doesn't steal your thunder, Laura. That uh, yeah, horror brings up the some of the hardest topics that we have to deal with as people. It certainly, is true for me. That's so perfect, Marshall. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And yes, I'm going to say it as I always say it because it finally, actually, totally, exactly fits the film, and it makes me so happy. So horror films allow us to talk about the darker, scarier, more awful parts of life. And that is so needed because we need communal connection around these ideas because everybody is struggling with really difficult things. And this film does an excellent job of tapping into nerves that, you know, certainly not just you, Marshall, but I and everyone really, very few people have escaped so far or get to escape the types of experiences that this film talks about. And so by bringing that up and giving a venue to discuss it and acknowledge those emotions, it's, I think does a real public service and how cool, how cool to have a film that stands up and just directly does that. For sure. And and kudos to the film for accomplishing that. We watched Relic, a 2020 film co-written and directed by Natalie Erica James. Christian White is the other writer and... Uh, synopsis from IMDb is a daughter, mother, and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation that consumes their family's home. Fucking IMDb, the massive spoiler in the synopsis on IMDb that I just left out. I'm so glad I didn't look at that before. I, I ugh, sorry, I'm very anti-spoiler, and it really irritates me that that. IMDb, somebody would put up a synopsis that just like destroys a film. Anyway, so that's my, that's my rant. I like to rant. Welcome. We appreciate you joining us. Our entire catalog of episodes is available on our website, collectivenightmares.com. It is free. Please reach out and contact us. Email, Instagram is another option. You can also see information about upcoming episodes and releases there. That is at Collective Nightmares. If nothing else, if you appreciate what we're doing, if you'll recommend our podcast to anyone you think would appreciate a deep deep dive from a little bit different perspective into horror or movies or anyone who is a sociology major in college, which is like the most popular major in or was in the US and is oddly absent from, from public discourse. <laughs> but suggest us to people you know, if you would. And... Or reach out and send us an email because it's super fun when we get an email from somebody. Yes. With that, we're going to explore the locked closets of our movie experience. Well, so far so good on audio. You want to just roll here? Sure. I've been thinking if I should ask this as a question or a statement. Maybe it's half dozen of one, six of the other. (sighs) All right. Uh, Let me just ask it. Then we can, I can qualify it or whatever. Is a perfectly competent movie without, so far as I can tell, any larger commentary, question, social significance, is that fine? (laughs) That's so interesting that you asked that question, Marshall. I'm so glad that you led with that. Because I have to say that was exactly my experience until the last 10 minutes of the film. And then I got what it was supposed to be about, or at least I think I did, And then I suddenly cared and thought it was actually fairly poetic. And even though I didn't love it, well, I, if it's, if it was trying to do what I think it was trying to do, I love that. And I love the idea. 
I think the fact that for the first, you know, 90% of the film, I wasn't aware of that. And it did feel like just a very standard, competent, but pretty boring in terms of having anything useful to say film. That type of execution to me feels a bit lacking. But can, can I tell you then what I think it was about? Absolutely. I would love th- This is very exciting because off- sometimes this happens in reverse. I think in particular the Babadook. So I'm very oh, excited. Yes. <laughs> I, I would love for there to be a, a, a go ahead. I, I'd love for to have you do the reveal. Oh, you're totally right. You're right. Babadook was fun because I so didn't get it. And then once you told me, it was ridiculously obvious. Okay, so it was meant to, I think the whole experience they were taking us through, they were taking us through like a haunted house. There's something evil lurking here experience, but it was meant to parallel the experience of having a parent die. And particularly in this case, maybe having a parent die and lose some of their facilities, whether she had some sort of dementia or the process, the grieving process of that is what I felt like the film was meant to represent and reflect. And I think I, it came together for me in the end of the film when the mother came back in because I felt like if you look at the whole film as a sort of parallel of the grief process, you can actually do that. And we can dig into that a little bit deeper because I think it actually, it holds together pretty well. And then when she came back in and curled up with grandma in the bed, that was very much the statement of like that connection and that bond being able to be stronger than the monster and even the monstrous kind of actions that the mother might've taken toward the end and how difficult she was and how scary it was and how scary all of this was, but that love won out. And then the very final scene of the film where the daughter sees the tiny little spot on the back of her mom's neck was meant to show the, the generational progression of this, that then she was going to be next and the daughter was going to have to watch that happen to her. And I thought whoever wrote the film, it was written and directed by the same person, but that she, came up with this idea that there was a parallel between these sort of haunting movies and what happens in, I was guessing particularly dementia, but in general, the decline of an older person and that she decided to take us through that film, but do it as an, like an allegory or, you know, an analogous experience to, to losing an older parent in the cycle. Uh, Well, okay. That's very cool. I, uh, I would love to dig through that with you. When you say it, it follows grief. Do you mean whatever the, stages of grief are the anger and law or I don't know what it is denial and anger and whatever I don't remember enough about those to know that's not specifically what I was thinking but just in a nutshell what I was thinking was you have the mom showing up and saying oh gosh I haven't talked to her in weeks I'm busy with my own life Uh oh there's something going on now I need to pay attention to this person again and then wanting to send her away to a home and telling the granddaughter, we don't have, I don't have time. I don't have the resources. I can't take care of her. That can't be done. The granddaughter then saying, no, 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 we need to take care of her. She should be in our house and that sort of struggle. And the mom finally acquiescing to that and saying, you know, will you please come live with me? Uh, But then the mom and the, the granddaughter both facing these issues of that sounds good. And maybe that feels good, but in actuality, like grandma's really declining here and there's something really serious happening and you maybe can't take care of her and she's going to be erratic and this is not going to be, this isn't just going to be a fun, loving sort of experience. And then really the fear of what that was, the, the decline was so severe and it was so scary and it was so traumatic that it was something that was like, it was the monster, right? It was taking over everything and they wanted to run from it and they needed to get away from it and it was out of control and they didn't know how to deal with it and they're afraid it's going to hurt them. And finally, that decline getting so severe, I guess, that grandma was like about to pass. And in those moments, the monster wasn't so much there anymore. And it became just about their connection and about love for her and caring for her and seeing her body like totally fall apart and still, you know, just wanting to curl up and love her. And I think that last sticky note that Mm. the grandma had written that was on the floor said something like, am I love or... Something like that. I thought it was I am love, but... Oh, with a question mark. Been, I think I it was I am love with a question mark. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. And, you know, and so like the, the kind of final moments of like calm in a way, because grandma was actually passing, which probably was, I don't want to say helpful, just like, it's like there was this this untenable problem kind of to deal with when her decline was sort of in its most serious state. So like in a way, there's maybe a relief. I don't know if relief is the right word. But the terror isn't there so much. But then it was just sad. And it was like feeling that love and that connection. And the three of them then curling up together. 
And I, I do think them punctuating that with the granddaughter seeing the spot on the back of her mom's neck and just knowing like it's a cycle and she's next. I think that's great. Well, there's some questions I have, but I really like that, which is also, it's so interesting. I love the idea. I would love for it to be about that. I think there's foundation for that. I appreciate what you're saying. I'm looking now at the stages of grief and I think we could probably match it to that. This is the Kubler-Ross grief cycle, which is denial, avoidance, confusion, elation, shock, fear, which could be mom at the beginning when she knows something's up with mom but doesn't come out to the house and whatever. And then anger, she totally has that. What's mom's name? I don't, I don't know anyone's Kay? name. Maybe. Well, Sammy is daughter. I think Edna is... Oh, you're right. Grandma. Edna. Yeah. Grand. Sorry. But anger, she does get angry with mom, frustration. And then depression, she's, I mean, she goes through this for sure. The bargaining is like the visit to the home, reaching out to others, telling one story. Daughter does that too with going to see the neighbor and whatnot. And then the, the acceptance. I, I think we could trace the film pretty clearly to this. So I guess if you weren't necessarily in, had these in mind specifically, but I think that works. I think it works very well, actually. I could totally see the author having sat down or had this like in the notes somewhere and kind of used it as a guide or author, auteur, whatever you want to say. I think the key to that argument too is the is that scene at the end with the mom getting the spot. If the mom didn't get the spot, you could argue that it's it was a possession or it was just you know one of those films. But to me, that really ties that argument in because I, I don't think that can mean anything else. If it's, if it's a spooky possession, that doesn't really work. The fact that all three of them are curled up in the bed together and now mom's next in line just really seemed to hammer that home for me. Oh yeah. And that shot was beautiful and it felt important. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm struggling with this so much because I, I'm sort of, I'm caught off guard in a good way because so my mom is, in the stages of dementia, Alzheimer's, where it's really starting to show. And the idea that, that what happens with older people is this idea that there's like something, something else basically becomes, replaces them and is more or less wearing their skin as a suit is really a compelling representation of that to me. And I, there were a couple of times throughout the film where I was like, I, I thought that distinctly. I was like, I would love for this to be about dis- dementia, Alzheimer's. I don't really know what the distinction is between those two. I should, having a parent in that circumstance, but I don't. So I'm going to use them interchangeably, which is probably going to be offensive to somebody. I'm sorry about that. So I don't know why... I don't know why I couldn't see it or I didn't get it. I think I was, so, so, okay, let me say this. And maybe we can talk about that. I love that idea. I'm glad you got that so we could talk about this because I didn't. So there's two primary things that stand out for me that confuse me with that. One is the importance of the window, the octagonal window and the house from great grandfather or whoever it was. And then the other is the labyrinth house people under the stairs thing that happens with the daughter for sure i i'll say one thing on the topic of the window but maybe more so even the great-grandfather who lives in the shed and his story at the beginning was probably meant to be some foreshadowing for what was going on here because the whole story was like he Oh, he had he wasn't some problems. Care he wasn't, of, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wasn't taken care of well. And they showed the nightmare of him and it looks like a horror movie nightmare. And at the same time, when you hear his story that he just, oh, he had some disease and he wasn't taken care of, that really ties together, ideologically ties this whole, is it a horror scene and is it a possession and some sort of evil monstrosity? Or is it essentially, yes, a horror scene some sort of evil possession and a monstrosity that's actually real and happens to people all the time and it's just called getting old and dying, or maybe in this case, dementia. I think the argument could be broader than dementia, but I do think there were some dementia ties in here. The window in particular, I don't know. I don't know, unless it was just meant to say that that was now happening here, just like it was happening in his shed. 
I don't know. And I agree with your labyrinth comment as well, because the whole beginning felt to me like one of those movies in the haunting kind of category. And I was just pretty bored. It felt pretty standard. It felt pretty basic. And I've been trying to decide since then if, if it is about what it feels to me like it was supposed to be about, if in order to make that argument, you do just lead people through that kind of movie and then give the poetic punch at the end. Hey, this isn't a horror movie about some spooky haunting. This is actually what people go through and this is what it feels like. So maybe that's effective or maybe it's, it could have been woven throughout. I mean, certainly I would say it could be woven throughout better in a way that you would have at least caught it, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know it doesn't work to be silent on a, <laughs> on an audio <laughs> recording. Yes. I'm really caught up in my head because partly because my mom is going through this and it's, uh, I had a particular milestone in the last week of how far it's progressed, which is really worrisome. So it could just be that I didn't really want to deal with that in a movie as well. I agree with you and I'm fine with the big reveal at the end. That's what Babadook was. And that's great. People loved it. People are loving this film. And like you said, we've talked about this before of, we talked about this with something where, there's absolutely an argument that by making it fit much of the genre template, you are able to access a wider audience and therefore you're able to provoke discussion or present your ideas to, to a broader segment than if it were a very different kind of film. Um, and I can, in many ways, I think that's borne out by the fact that apparently this movie is popular on streaming and has gotten some sort of cultural prominence. I, I love the idea of it. I, I really do. I, in particular, I love that. That final scene is really impressive. The peeling off the skin, the, the body is this whole idea of whether the body is who you are, or whether consciousness is who you are, or how those things intersect. And oh, I don't even know what to say about that. I'm so glad you pointed out. I think there's a lot to be said for the argument. I think it makes it a, a considerably better movie because now my thought is, well, there's some points where I have, I think they maybe leaned too far into the genre template or there was unnecessary distractions. Maybe the Windows one, maybe the Labyrinth is is a bigger one. But that is a less powerful I have much less issue with that when they're trying to make a larger argument than what I initially came away with was very much, well, I asked it as a question, but I'll say it as a statement of, you know what? It's a genre template film. It's competently done. It was spooky. It was, you know, there was suspense, but it was all very conventional. It starred women. So I appreciated that. And I give some credit for that. There's a fair number of women uh, besides being co-written co and directed, there's women in powerful positions. There's a co as an editor I noticed was a was a woman's name. I think executive producer. Uh, but anyway, so I was like, okay, this is cool. There's there's really some. It has that going for it beyond just being a standard haunting film. So I don't know if this is redundant. I don't know where I I got lost, but. I appreciate this much more of it made an argument and made a really interesting argument, maybe not particularly original because I do think it's very much the Babadook template just adjusted for someone, uh, an elder parent with, like you said, cognitive faculties or other faculties declining, but still that is much more impressive to me to do that and make and try that and maybe not be perfect at that than, than to just follow a, template. Yeah. One thing I want to give it a lot of credit for, even though it did just follow the template for the first, like I said, I agreed with you till 90% of the way through the movie. But I think even though, how do I say this? Even though it just was following that template, it hit on some nerves that maybe you were saying this as well. It hit on some nerves that tied into the final theme really well. And I didn't realize it was hitting them until I got what it was supposed to be about. And I'll specifically say the scene where the, where Edna pees on the floor mm. was difficult. I mean, it was, it was difficult because I've seen my grandparents decline 
And that's hard, just hard to watch. And so, you know, seeing that scene and, and when someone sort of breaks past this boundary of their privacy and their integrity and, and something that they would normally be able to and want to keep private, they suddenly can't. And they used to be an authority figure and someone you saw as powerful. And now you see that they can't even control these sort of basic functions. That's really hard. And when the mom bent down and looked at the urine and there was a black swirling through mm-hmm. it, and I think that was meant to be an allusion to the haunting or something, right? Like there's some sort of evil presence. But what I thought of when I saw that, and this is just a, a horribly painful memory, honestly, was when my grandpa was in his final, you know, final probably week. And I was at the house and I was there with my mom and she, we had some relatives over, I think at the moment. And my mom actually came out, she was helping him in the bathroom and she came out and he had a, like a thing he was peeing in, or maybe he, I guess he probably wasn't in the bathroom at that point, but she was helping him, you know, take that to the bathroom or whatever it was. And there was blood in it. Like it was fairly Mm. bloody. And um, she walked out and she showed me and I wish she hadn't. And at the same time, I think she was just reaching out for some sort of like, "Ah, I don't know what to do with this. And he was, he was far enough along and bad enough and in hospice. I don't think it was like, Oh no, we need to call the doctor. They better do something. It's like, we're aware everything is failing. I don't know what causes that, but it was horrible and it was painful. And it was just, just to see that, I think metaphorically that fits so well with seeing that black swirling through. And that was the memory that came to my mind, but it was also like, it's, it's the evil. It's the horror. Like, Oh no, it's creeping in. It's everywhere. It's, you can see it. And I think I went through that emotional experience, even if I didn't realize I was and that that was what it was about. And when I got to the end, that just really resonated and tied back very well. And so, so I do think that even though they were following the template, there were some markers in there, or, or maybe I'll just say it, it hit the proper emotional tones that it fit. It's a really compelling argument, I think, that they were trying to make. Yes. I do agree. It was a really compelling argument. Uh, God, that's so funny. I, um, I'm going back through and reevaluating because when I first saw that, I thought, and there's, there's real visual quotes of a number of really iconic films there's the camera moves back and forth with Sammy as she's swinging the pipe at the wall, which is shining Jack breaking through the door. The grandmother peeing for me was precisely a visual quote of uh, Reagan, Regan, Reagan in the exorcist. And I think, okay. So both of those films are about possession or spiritual fuckery. I I'm trying to think what else was visual quote. I feel like there was an Amityville horror, but it's been so long since I've seen that film. And I guess I was not finding that impressive because I thought I I really was, was limiting my perspective to, okay, they're just showing that they have awareness of these iconic films and that's cool, but maybe it is, Maybe I can very much see going from what your argument or what you're presenting here, Laura, that 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 was more of an effort to expand their argument to to expand that argument to the larger commentary on the genre, which is what I think you're saying is you can see, oh God, see, I love that. Expanding the commentary to a larger indictment or a larger critique of these films that are so iconic that are attributed to demon or possession or whatever, and that you could really reevaluate as a much more concrete or an actually not a much more, but a concrete mental illness break. And that is worse because it actually happens. And that I love because I, I did think throughout the film, I, (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. I'm also disappointed in myself here. So <laughs> I'm, str- I'm struggling with a lot here, Laura. I got, got my mom's Alzheimer's. I got my own disappointment myself. Uh, but I love that because I was thinking about this as well. I was thinking, well, maybe something we can talk about is the popularity of ghost and possession and haunting films in America. And as I've seen a number of, well, I think, how about this? The anti-intellectual movement particularly of the GOP has been even more prominent in the last few days as we watch people, as we watch COVID rampage through society and 
the anti-intellectualism of the GOP causing tens of thousands of deaths. And I was thinking, well, these films, there, there's something interesting about, about these films and this intellectualism movement where, well, we can attribute all this sh- bad shit happening to these fantasies and spirits and whatever. And that's all fun and games until we have something like COVID and no science fucking matters. Take your essential oil and shove it. And so I'm really disappointed that I missed that. And I really appreciate if that was what this, what is her name? We should be able to James, Natalie James. If that's what James was trying to do in this film was, was take all of this and ground it in, Oh, those are real things that happen. They seem fantastic. I think that's phenomenal. I appreciate the effort at the same time that exaggerates or that amplifies what I think are the critiques of taking particularly the labyrinthine labyrinthine labyrinthine. How do you say that? Labyrinthine. God damn it. How do you say it, Laura? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, but I know what you mean. So <laughs> labyrinthine. Labyrinth- you have, you've effectively communicated <laughs> whether you said it right or not. Darn it. Like not knowing words that makes that that much worse because I just don't think she could have been trapped back there without it being walls are moving and doors are changing. And like she, it just didn't need to be because that does make it then supernatural. And it takes all that, all that commentary about the supernatural and it, it detracts from it because it makes it supernatural. Like everything else could essentially be, reduced to no this was grandma grand slipping like a a mental issue or whatever so i'm gonna push back on that a little bit please yeah and part of my willingness to do that might just come from the fact that because i feel like i got it at the end i think i actually appreciated being walked through that that supernatural portion of the movie because then it felt like it wasn't about that anymore. And it felt like a poetic statement and as a piece of poetry. So God, I think the fear of, and, and I don't think it's exactly a fear of Edna, but it is a fear of Edna. How do I say this? When, when Edna is doing the standard exorcist kind of crab walk situation and you know, all when, when her body turns into clearly possessed supernatural, this is one of these movies kind of villains at the end, they're afraid of her and they're running away from her. And the film ends basically on the note. It's it's the standard film, right? Their two protagonists get out of the house and they escape from the evil presence. And then it changes and it becomes a different film because they stop and mom says, wait, 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 I need to go back in. I can't leave her. And that's when they show you what the film is actually about. And I think, first of all, I like that they ended the film the traditional way, I guess I would say, to really show that parallel between those types of movies and this. And I think if they had left out that supernatural element, they wouldn't have had the reason to run out of the house in quite the same way. It would make it a drama, I guess, instead of a horror film. And so I think that if Gran had just been difficult and chasing them with a knife or being crazy, or I don't know exactly what they could have done, but there's something about there's something about effectively channeling that fear. And I would say, gosh, even, even the fact that if we want to get metaphorical about this, the fact that the film ended up going like, Oh, this has to be supernatural as its route kind of for a moment there might even fit with someone's mental state with this is just evil. This is no longer, I can't, I can no longer engage with this as this person who I love, who, you know, this is just, it's like, it's, it's, the disease is winning out, right? The disease has sort of taken over and becomes the predominant force and you can't see the rest of it anymore. I actually like that. And I I think the parallel between the disease and possession just felt incredibly effective to me in large part because it, it really does. I don't know if I'd necessarily call it exactly a critique or just an extension of that type of horror film and that, that segment of the genre, but I love horror that is going to walk into a situation and say, Hey, we don't need to make this about some crazy otherworldly monster. Like people go through this every day. And this is exactly, this is exactly what it feels like. And the types of fears that we're channeling, the conversation we're having, right? The, 
the issues that we're addressing in this film, these are real. These aren't like, oh, that only happens in crazy world where people get possessed by evil spirits and that doesn't really happen, but whatever. No, this really happens. I just think that was effective. I appreciate and I agree with everything you said. My issue remains that the daughter, from my experience of watching her through that, I don't see any reason why that needed to be, let me say it a positive way. She just as easily could have been stuck or trapped or locked into corridors behind the walls or maintenance or whatever, or some part of the house had been shut off without there being walls shifting and doors moving and whatever. She could have been, that's the only piece that I just, I don't like. Again, she could have, she goes back, she finds the, the extra doorway. She goes through a door back there and grandma shuts that door. That door shuts and locks or whatever. And so she's in back in there pounding and she's trying to navigate between, you know, in, in the space between walls or whatever and wouldn't be able to be heard and all of that without it being, again, where all this other stuff is happening that makes it the houses, I don't know, whatever the Harry Potter is where all the, everything moves around. I, I just, that's, that's where I'm stuck. I'm torn because part of me agrees with you. And the other part is trying to fight for that. Cause I do think there was some value in actually digging into the horror to that, to that genre of the horror films. But can we parallel that to the neighbor boy? Because the neighbor boy's story, right. Was that he was playing with grandma. He accidentally got locked in a closet somewhere and same closet yeah and it wasn't till his dad came and heard him screaming you know grand didn't know he was up there and it wasn't till dad came and heard him screaming that he was able to rescue him and now dad is saying oh yeah well we keep him away now this was some scary traumatic experience for for the boy apparently and so maybe can that work with again her disease being a source of fear and people being locked in really scary situations they don't know how to get out of and it could be dangerous and it's just like what it can do what the disease can do because presumably edna would never have done that she didn't do it on purpose but the disease did it and he suffered fear from it and so now they were kind of walking us through that again with her granddaughter but that makes sense this is gonna sound terrible but whatever i'm gonna say anyway but that makes sense because the the kid is has some sort of developmental disability or mental disability also. So if, if Grand's Alzheimer's or dementia or decline, whatever it is, is somehow connected to that particular closet and she wants to lock it out because she's trying to keep her faculties and that's reinforced by having the, the neighbor kid who has some sort of disability who's also trapped in there and that becomes a horrible experience. It doesn't make sense to have Sammy in that same situation because she is the youngest. She doesn't have any, she doesn't have any decline. And I, I just don't. And I think for me, it would have been more effective if she fully capable, fully cognitive, really felt trapped and, and futile and helpless without it being supernatural. Because that to me is, much more realistic. Again, going through my mom with Alzheimer's, totally helpless. There's nothing I can do. It doesn't, it's not because walls are shifting around or whatever the fuck. It's, it's because, and again, everything could have happened back there without, she could have, there's a million ways she could have been trapped or, or really stuck and felt really futile and helpless without it going to that. And how about this? If it were mom who are going through that and mom has the spot on her back and she is, so it's like a, it's some sort of reflection or some sort of um, the staging is now reflecting and symbolic of the fact that she has her initial moments of decline where somehow she got turned around and she shouldn't be lost, but she is, that would work for me. But to have the daughter be the one in that scenario, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. I, I mean, again, that's, I appreciate what you're saying. And I kind of wanted to make an argument that, and I think this is probably, or this is similar to what you're saying of like, somehow this is showing the daughter, it's giving the daughter a sense of what 
Grant has been going through. And it gives us an experiential scenario where we're presumably capable and cognizant and all of this. And we feel the terror of the daughter who is also the next generation who's, who's going through this and is stuck. I just, it just didn't, I mean, this is all, it's certainly something I'm willing to forego. I don't think it's a deal breaker with the film. I just, that, that's where I'm at. I'll just, I'll just present a slightly different take and this won't take longer than two sentences, I think. And then we can, we can <laughs> we move forward. Move forward. Yeah. But to me, it wasn't about that character experiencing decline or experiencing what Grand's going through. It was about the possession, which is akin to the dementia, the disease, right? Taking over and winning and being all that she could see. And so this, she was no longer in Grand's house. She was no longer just dealing with her grandmother who's ill, but maybe she can come live with her and this is still a manageable situation. It's like the fear and the possession and the evil, if you want to call it that. And I mean that in the supernatural and also totally literal sense that that took over and that was all that was visible to her. Okay. I think we've, we've both presented our, our sides. I, I respect what you're saying. Do we have anything to say about the fact that the three leads are women and all the other characters in the film are men, except for the person who's in the like uh, nursing home who gives her the tour, neighbor's father, neighbor, son, whoever. I guess she talks to her assistant or somebody who's a woman. The creepy old man at the nursing home stares at her. Great grandfather was the one who declined. There might be something about the fact that I'm sure it's true in Australia. It's certainly true here that women have considerably longer lifespan. So they're the ones who are now taking on a lot of this burden because men die younger. That's interesting. It certainly felt like it was meant to represent something generational, especially with the three of them lying together in the bed at the end. And so it may have just been an inversion of what we standardly see in a horror film, which is usually the important characters are all men and the throwaway characters are women. And I don't mean throwaway like they didn't need to be there, but like we didn't really get to know them. They weren't a major part of the story. And so this could just be a flip of that. The important characters were women, you know, wanting the generational, the progression of them laying in bed together. It made sense to have them all be women. I think that was just another, another piece that sort of tied them together as a, as a lifespan progression. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just for the sake of, having a bit of you know, diversity, if you want to call it that, but sure those other characters can be men because we don't, they're not as central to the, the plot. Oh yeah. And I totally appreciate that it was all women and I thought they were exceptional. I mean, I know uh, Emily Mortimer, I know from, from newsroom and she's been in a couple other things. She's awesome. The daughter was Bella Heathcote who was in pride and prejudice and zombies. She's been in a couple other things. She was great. Gran was great. Yeah, the acting was superb. It was a really well put together film, which I I started with. And I'm very much convinced by what you're saying. I have a couple of quibbles with smaller things with with a couple of uh, pieces of execution, but I appreciate why it's a a good film. What else? Do we have anything else? Yeah, I I think I'd like to... What do you have? Yeah, sorry. At least raise one... Maybe split some hairs with how you characterize the neighbor kid being in the closet. Because I actually, my take on his character was, it was one of the first times I had seen a character with Down syndrome in a film where I actually felt like his character was not there to represent disability. And that to me felt like an asset of the film. Because I I noticed that in the first interaction that, you know, I mean, he was not in the film very much, right? But the first interaction that the granddaughter has with him, he showed up, they talked a little bit, he's clearly the neighbor. She invites him in. He says no for whatever reason. I didn't feel like there was any sort of stigma placed on him because of his disability. And I also felt like his character was just meant to be the neighbor. And the purpose to me, now again, I didn't, I didn't see that closet scene as being supposed to be representative of decline of someone who was in the closet. So maybe that's a bit different. But I thought he was there to represent that Grant had done something that put someone else in danger. Um, but I really appreciated the fact that this was a case where we saw a character in a film that was allowed to represent something other than his disability. At least that was my take on it. And, and that does 
potentially disagree a little bit with the argument you were making about him being in a closet. But I will say if that wasn't what they meant to highlight by his presence in the closet, then I found that to be admirable and, and different. It was just nice to see that, to see that in a film and have him not be somehow stigmatized for that. I agree with that. I, I would, I don't know if I was necessarily making that argument. What I was saying is that if the closet was supposed to represent because Gran had added the lock and said, well, I think that's how they're getting in, which is now that we, if we get there getting in is, is Alzheimer's or decline. And then he's in there and also has that in order to be consistent with that development, it doesn't make sense to have Sammy in there and then trapped as well. You make a decent argument there. Yeah, I didn't quite so, catch that line of hers, but that that makes sense. So for me, it was a it was a if they're developing that, I don't think it's consistent. If what you're saying is that it really wasn't supposed to be a multiple points on a on a line, and I'm not attributing him not getting out to his disability or whatever. She she'd shut him in there, right? She'd locked him in there and had not remembered or whatever. So it wasn't about that. It was just that. That seemed to me to me to be some sort of representation of of her hiding from the the decline. She has these notes about you know my name is Edna, like these very profound. I don't want these reminders that I've really. I, I don't know. It just it seemed like there was potential that they were building that, and if that was if that was the case, didn't make sense for daughter. If it wasn't the case, which you've also argued, then I agree with you. I genuinely don't know which they were trying to do. Those are really the only data points I have for that. So if anything, I guess the question would be, why don't we have a clear indication as to which of those two narratives is was the real intention? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Right on. What, what else do we have? I, I would just say I really liked it. I, I think it was a cool idea that they were putting forth. And... As I always say when we talk about horror films, I say, you know, it gives us an avenue and a, a venue for talking about the really difficult, really important questions that everybody faces and everybody struggles with. And I think this is a great example of that because it just, and got to do it by using like the, the tropes of the genre and then say, hey, wait a second, in case you hadn't noticed, this is real life. That's really cool. I give it a lot of kudos for that. I agree with that. I have to say that I think this is a film that a second watch would really pay off. And sometimes there's films where you have that big reveal at the end. And once you know it, it's like, well, now I don't have any reason to watch it again. Maybe. A, yeah, uh, and then there's some films where you have that and you're like, oh, I totally want to go back and see all of the foreshadowing. And I feel like this is a film that would, for at least for me, because I didn't get it. So for, I shouldn't generalize, but for me, I think a second watch would really would really be beneficial. I would appreciate it. I agree with you. I'm so glad you said what you did. It's I I am disappointed in myself because I really try to I look for all that stuff to to a fault. I thread these these symbol the symbolisms out of nothing sometimes or very little. And uh, so I appreciate being on the other side of it and you you clued me into what was going on. And even though I'm even though I'm frustrated that I missed it, I'm so glad you said it because because uh, yeah, I think it because it elevates the film considerably, and I wanted to like it that much, and so now I get to, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny in a way that you say that because I don't think I'd want to go watch it again. Maybe I would feel differently. But I just, I found the viewing experience of the first three quarters of it to be very slow. And also I've seen it a thousand times. And yes, it was pretty, but I was, I just wasn't excited about seeing this movie again. And, oh, you know, one thing I'll, I'll throw out too, I don't know if this was, I don't know what their intent was in doing this, but it was very dark. It was very quiet. No one spoke with very much inflection. Everybody mumbled. <laughs> and it probably didn't help that they had an accent also. But I found myself just struggling through the whole film to see it, first of all, because I was watching it in daylight and it was oh, so dark. Yeah. It's like the reflections on my screen were almost as strong as the actual film. And then the voice, it's like I kept turning it up and then somebody would close the door and it's ridiculously loud. It's like, I can't hear anything. I can't see anything. I've already seen this film before. And because we just have a few people in a house, a lot of the time it's quiet. And so there just wasn't a lot. 
happening. And so even though it was pretty, I just got a little bit bored because bored and frustrated with my, my sensory input, just not being effective. <laughs> and I don't know if that could, if that was a way to thematically tie this all together, maybe I'll give them <laughs> credit for that. But I don't know. I like, I like what it was and I like the idea of it so much by the end, but I, I would still say most of viewing it, I, I didn't really enjoy terribly much. This is, uh, I mean, I appreciate all those things, but those are, that's because of your watching setup. That's not something that they have control over. Like if you had dark room and a decent sound system, presumably that would be better. How about Maybe. this? A theater you experience. The sound to be difficult. Well, I have my air conditioner. Well, I have my air conditioner, but more importantly, Chris was on a call, on a Zoom call. So I watched it with headphones and it was great. Okay. So maybe the nicer way for me to say that is, I think this would be a wonderful film to see in a theater. A wonderful film to see in a theater, which I appreciate that. Should we grade it? Yeah, for sure. Do you sure. want to grade it first since you figured it out? Yeah, I, I think it is such a cool idea. I think it does exactly what I ask horror films to do, which is play in and deal with really important problems that we're all facing in the world and address those really, really thoughtfully. And it just absolutely did that. So, I mean, I have to give it an A. I'm tempted to go a little toward the lower A range, primarily because, because of the experience. I, I don't know. I'm torn. Like I said, I'm torn on whether walking us through a standard movie for the first however long was actually an effective way to do it. And like you said, I think it's a good argument you made that it's an effective way to get an audience also. So I don't know if I disagree but something in me kind of wants to. It's probably how you feel about the labyrinth. I'm just, it's not sitting quite right with me, but I'm not sure. And the fact that you as a very thoughtful person could go through this viewing experience, and especially as someone who, like you said, is dealing with this with your very own family and not catch that makes me think that they could have done a little more to make that argument clearer or better. And so I guess for those reasons, I would go with 94. I would like, I want to say a minus and I even want to bump it a bit higher than an a minus because of what it was trying to accomplish. I think that was so important. And yeah, it was, it was all about women, which was great. I found the neighbor boy at least to be a welcome addition in that I didn't take him to be representative of having a problem. And it, it just very much struck me when I saw that. I thought, I wonder if someone working on the film has a, a son or a brother or a whatever you know, with this sort of disability and thought, hey, why not just have a character be in the film and just be a normal character and not have to be somehow drawn on or stigmatized or seen only as his, as his ailment or whatever you want to call it. Like that, that shouldn't define who he is. And so I, I appreciated that. There was no racial diversity. It was also basically one family. So, I mean, there wasn't a ton of characters or a ton of room for that, but. I agree with you. And I want to clear, or I want to emphasize one more time that Regardless of either of the interpretations we presented about the possibility of, we should actually probably look at his name, Jamie, the neighbor kid. Um, I agree with you. I don't think either of those relied on him being, uh, having Down syndrome. Even if the interpretation where he was locked in as to somehow reinforce the notion of the closet as some kind of uh, disability, it still wasn't, it wasn't relying on that in a way that I think was stigmatizing because the responsibility wasn't because he was, because of his situation. It, it was, it just wasn't, I agree with you. It wasn't a, a, a reductive representation, which I appreciate. I think my primary quibble, the empathy I think was great. I had great empathy for all the characters. Grandma I struggled with, which I think is exactly what you're supposed to do. I would go to bottom bottom level of the A as well, mostly because it's still like an upper middle class, lower upper class white family. I mean, they've got an estate home in addition to daughter clearly doesn't really actually need to work or, and I'm sorry, but I do think of Greta, like the pretty young woman who works in an art gallery, which I love art, I'm not shitting on artists, but the like, art gallery trope daughter thing somehow you can make enough to live in like some fancy apartment in a major city by working in art gallery just ugh. um <laughs> i still i still love that you resurrected greta for a moment there. <laughs> I, mean, I just 
so enjoy picking on Greta that I right. appreciate those little five seconds of Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, so the, I mean, so it was like, okay, yes, this is all great and horrible, but they are still a family who ha- totally has the option of a five-star nursing home and... I can take time off work and daughter can just has no ties. So she could totally just move up here and whatever. I just want to say that. So I, I still, like you said, I wouldn't disqualify it. I would put it at the bottom of the A. I'd put it at the, like the 93. It's not that big a deal. I fully appreciate that behind the scenes, there were many women who are working in positions of power. In addition to it being co-written and directed by a woman, there was no gratuity at all. No, and I think the the horror that we saw and the the grotesqueness of grandma's body and her body being ripped off and when she was clawing into herself, that was one of the hardest parts to watch. But I really do think it just it very much resonated with me having seen people decline and that feeling of fragility mm. around their bodies and like, oh, don't do that. Don't, it's never going to heal. Don't, don't, don't touch it. Because I, that feeling is so, was so strong in me for so many years with my grandparents and just gosh, helping my grandma up the stairs and being terrified, thinking like, just don't fall, don't fall, don't, don't mm. okay. Like just the, that, don't touch it. Don't break it. Don't that feeling. I think they captured really well in the, the gore that we saw. And I actually really appreciated at the end, the scene, which again was very poetic, but the scene of mother peeling off grandma's skin and hair and just reducing her to Mm. some sort of core body. I thought was really effective. Yeah. I agree with all that. Yeah, it was great. One other, one other very minor thing that doesn't change my grade at all, but along with my issue of the trope that somehow women in movies can't pound on doors. (laughs) It also aggravates me considerably that women in movies are never, never kicking a door. It was just frustrating. I appreciate that Sammy ended up breaking through the wall, beating through the wall. That was cool. I was thrilled to see that. But just before that, she struggles with the door and can't get it open. So somehow she can pound through a plaster and slat wall. I understand she's a pipe, but but she can't get through a door. Mom can't get the door open with the when Gran is in the bathroom. If only it was a jar. <laughs> it's just annoying. You know, I was gonna ask you, Laura, if you think if Noah was stuck in a room, could you break down a door? I don't know. I would hope so. I don't know. I get, I mean, I would probably pick something up and try to whack it at it. I don't know. I've never tried. I understand. Like if it's a reinforced door, it could be an older thing. It's just a trope that I feel like I see along with the, like somehow we can't pound on the door with a fist. It's always this open hand, like tap, 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 tap. <laughs> it's not just like a, anyway, that was something I noticed. That was, that's it. That's all. Okay, I'll say one more thing in that same category. And, and I don't know if this is me putting out there my own problematic gender stereotypes or if this is recognizing something actual in the film, but I'll just, I'll just say it anyway because I thought it during the film, that the chase scenes that I can't stand in your typical horror film were basically absent. But it felt to me during the, at least the part of this film before it meant something, that there were these long drawn out, and I, I wondered, is this the female version of the chase scene where instead of chase and action and you know, movement, there was, <gasps> I don't, like, it just, it's that noise. Like people were making the whimpering scared noise for a really long time, stuck in the wall, doing whatever, just like you said, maybe he's trying to break down the, I don't know. There was just a lot of whimpering scared and it went on too long. It, 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 I noticed it because it served the same purpose I thought as the chase scene. And I thought, is this what is supposed to resonate with me? Like the just feeling scared and helpless and being unsure what to do and making that noise. It stood out to me. Does that resonate with you at all? Or I, I think that's a wonderful comparison of like the women's version of, of the chase scene. And now I, we just said it was such a great film and these are, I just want to, especially after our knives and skin debacle, these are smaller issues, but I also noticed, and it was frustrating to me. I felt like there were multiple times where it was a, I see this reference on the internet. I don't know exactly if it's a trope or what it is, but it's like just conversations that should have happened that didn't. Hey, grandma ripped my ring off that she gave me yesterday. That doesn't seem like a good sign, mom. Oh yeah. Grandma wandered out into the woods with the album. I also think that's not a good sign. Daughter, maybe 
things are escalating here. We should come and get me if you hear something in the night because grandma can just something where you're in the middle of nowhere. You're worried about Gran. You're the only two people there. You have nothing to, or, or I don't know if you have anything to talk about, but that's the primary thing to talk about. It seems like that would come up in conversation. <laughs> and that, that also, that was a thing, but okay. For the most part, I'm willing to let it slide. Yeah. Yes. I think it was, it was a great idea. It was a great film. Was, yeah. Maybe like you said, some small quibbles with execution, but basically super cool idea. Super cool idea. Yeah. That's it. I feel done. Okay. Yeah, me too. Do we know what we're watching next time? No, I don't think so. Do you have a feeling about something? This felt like a gamble, like it could be empty, although I'm really glad we did it, but it Mm. was current and it feels good to switch between like the classics of let's do Last House on the Left and like, let's come back and do something present and somebody might have actually just watched it last week on Amazon or three months ago by the time (laughs) we get it posted, whatever, but (laughs) still. Right. Sure. So I don't know. I mean- Maybe something that we know is going to have substance. Or we can just go crazy. We just go like it too. I mean, the 40th theater isn't going to happen anytime <laughs> soon. I don't know. No, no it's not. It too. <sighs> okay, well, let me first say thank you for joining us. We appreciate you listening. And horror films are our collective nightmares. No, I don't, which might be a credit to the film. There's nothing funny about this. (laughs) Slow march toward death. I don't know. (laughs) Well, and I'm trying to do it without a spoiler, too. Let's see. Hold on. It's it's coming. Um, And with that, we are going to struggle to... No, that doesn't work. Damn it. Your commitment to this cause is admirable, Marshall. I mean, it's been like 10 seconds. (laughs) Or maybe it's been longer. I I do get lost in my head pretty easy. With that, we're going to explore the locked closets of our movie experience. (laughs) Sure. You're like that. (laughs) I love that. That sure was like, that sucks, but it's something. I need to go. (laughs) You win some, you lose some. Hey, at least you have something. I do need to go. Okay. I'm going to... Those were good snaps. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey there. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm running out of chit chat here. You want to just do it? I guess. Let me eat my rest of my Fig Newton. Do you like Fig Newtons or Apple Newtons better? I'm pretty even on that. This is a fancy (laughs) Newton. This isn't a Nabisco Newton, for the record. (laughs) I was very sad when, I think it was R.J. Reynolds bought Nabisco, because I was totally a Fig Newton person. And they weren't necessarily any better or worse for you. But uh, I've talked about this with you before, but once the tobacco company bought the, bought the brand, I was like, well, obviously I'm not going to eat food made by them. <laughs> so I had to give up my Newtons. But uh, particularly working um, stage concerts and all that, you know, that's a, that's a job where you'll have like the one day will be like 16 hours and then the next day will be like three and then the next day. But so anyway, like 16 hours and you're, you can be out in the middle of nowhere sitting up a stage. So I would take like a package of Fig Newtons and just snack on those all day. And that was what I ate. Cheap, it's calories, kept you going, whatever. Probably wasn't the healthiest thing, but they don't die, you know, they don't spoil. (laughs) So anyway, I was sad to give up my Newtons. (laughs) So what kind of Newtons are these? I don't know, they're probably made by fucking some other tobacco company.
They are Nature's <laughs> Bakery Fig Bar. Let's see what their subsidiary is. Distributed by Nature's Bakery LLC, Reno, Nevada. I can Good do push-ups more now. Good for you. you I totally just you fell off the push-up bandwagon. I didn't ever I, get on it. I just watched I it roll by. <laughs> if you want to try again, I'm still doing it. I can I can do ten now, and I can only do five weekly. No, I could do like maybe two when I started and then five and now 10. So that's pretty good. That's a, that's a logarithmic progression there. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Way I'm doing go. it every day. So if you want to jump on. <laughs> I jump appreciate on. that. Uh, <laughs> like, no. uh, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe I should. I don't know. I can't deal with that right now. <laughs> All right. I understand. Okay. I still have filed away. I just thought of it this morning. Your discussion slash rant that you gave me that day about how I should do a credit union instead of Chase Bank. And I agreed with you. Do you remember this was about eight years ago? And I said, yep, I'm going to file that away, Marshall. I agree. I just can't like do it right now. And I was just showering this morning and I actually thought of it. And I thought it's still in there. It's still on the to-do list. So for what that's worth, <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, I, get, I appreciate that. If I could if I had the impact on anybody else that I do, how about this? If I have the impact on students in where eight years after they take my class, they think of one thing I said and it still annoys them. <laughs> I would totally take that as a win. <laughs> or maybe it doesn't annoy them, but encourages them to, to do something. That would be awesome. So I appreciate you saying that. All right. Go enjoy your swimming. All right. Sounds good. Right. I will talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.